You were listening to From Sobriety to Recovery with Jesse Mogul. Let's get to the show. I don't know why I did that. Welcome to the show. I'm so glad to be here. Uh, I'm feeling a little goofy. It is 11.17 p.m. on a Wednesday night. I see a bunch of ones and a seven. It's going to be a good episode. If you are a first-time listener, you think I'm ridiculous, and I highly recommend that you go to some previous episodes and realize that I'm not always this goofy. I'm just feeling it today. As always, it is an honor and a privilege to have you here. I am your host, Jesse Mogul. I am in addiction recovery. I love being sober. I said a quote. I made up a quote. It became a quote. Let me rephrase this. I said a sentence. It became super powerful to those who were listening to me. They told me that was an amazing quote. They made it a quote. Then they made it a saying. And then it became a power sentence for the rest of the night. I was speaking at His Way, which is a Christ-based faith addiction recovery center here in Huntsville. I'm doing my internship for the CRSS program. I've talked about that plenty, so I won't get into that because there's a lot to cover today, and I don't want to get lost in the sauce. And so I taught on communication styles, passive-aggressive, passive-aggressive, and assertive. I don't know why my brain decided to go blank. I know why, because I also spoke on attachment styles, which was anxious, anxious, avoidant, disorganized, which is just anxious and avoidant brought together, and then secure. And so it was all around the idea of codependency and relationships. And at the end of it, I was talking to one of the people, uh, one of the gentlemen there, and they said something about anger. And I was like, yeah, you know, I was like, uh, well, let's work on that, you know, because I also counseled them there. And they were, and I was like, you know, because I enjoy sobriety too much to be angry. And I really feel that. I honestly, I mean, I feel it. I, I honestly believe. And when I get angry, I'm like, okie dokie, that's addict Jesse. We're not, homie, don't play that. Right. And I brought this up within the communication and the attachment style strategies. Like there are certain ways that we behave. I'm like, nope, that's how addict Jesse would have behaved. Then there's certain ways we behave. And it's like, okay, that's how sober Jesse's going to behave. And then there's certain ways I behave. And I'm like, yep, that's totally recovery, Jesse. Crushing it. And I can't always say that I'm crushing it. Sometimes I'm not crushing it. <laughs> it's in those moments I realize. That I'm human. I'm fallible. I don't always nail it. I'm not always crushing it. Sometimes I'm not doing well. And the metaphor sort of falling apart here. So let's move beyond it. And let's just go back to this idea that what are you doing right now to change your situation? You are in control of your mind. Therefore, you are in control of your results. Just like I'm in control of my mind, therefore I'm in control of my results. That's just the way that it goes. This isn't like some new age hippie bullshit. Water break. This has always been the reality. And then I decided to touch the microphone. I hope you're enjoying it. We're only three minutes in and I am still goofy as hell. This isn't new age hippie nonsense. You have always been in control of your mind, therefore you've always been in control of your results. I've always been in control of my mind, therefore... I've always been in control of my results. Saying somebody made me angry, right, is what you're really doing when you say, well, you made me angry. There was already something going on. There was a a need not being met, a want not being fulfilled, a desire that was unspoken, 
right? You had an expectation that you had not spoken clearly enough for them to understand it. It was not met, and therefore you chose to get angry. I could see you wearing a hat and tell you that hat's stupid and ugly, but if you think my opinion about hats doesn't matter for naught, then you're not going to care that I made fun of your hat. You're not going to care that I said anything about your hat. You're going to be like, whatevs, make fun of my tennis shoes, right? But if you think I'm some fashion supernova and I come up and say your hat's stupid and you're trying to be a fashion hit wonder that day, you might feel hurt. You might even feel angry. Because that opinion mattered to you because you held me to a certain esteem, a certain level, because you thought I was Mr. Fashion Supernova. Mind you, I am not Mr. Fashion Supernova. I only know how to put together a good outfit because of Pinterest. By the way, dudes, you want to know how to put together good outfits? Go on Pinterest and type in like like faded blue jeans, white t-shirt, white shoes, whatever combination of things that are in your closet and wait till you see everything that pops up. You're going to get some great ideas. Of course, those people are probably wearing an outfit that costs a thousand bucks, which is like half my mortgage, but you can always go and find those clothes at cheaper places and then you can still look hip. Is is hip, is jiggy with it? Are these still terms that the young hip kids use? I don't know. Anyways, (laughs) going back to what I was talking about before I went off on that random tangent, I was squirreling, is that, You're choosing to feel angry. You're making this choice. I say something, you can choose to feel angry. You could choose to be benevolent or uh, not malevolent. Malevolent? Probably malevolent. Maleficent? Now I'm just using words that sound like smart people would say things. You can choose to be angry. You can choose to be passive, right? You can choose whatever you want, but just know that you're choosing this. And we're going to get into why we're talking about choose, choose, choose so much in a moment, because it's, it, is, it is really the meat of this episode, because you're choosing to feel things. So I enjoy sobriety too much to, to, to choose anger. I have chosen anger. In fact, the last couple of days, right, there's been some conversations in my house as we're preparing to, right, you know, move into our new crib and, you know, buy things like refrigerators and uh new sod and couches, right? There's been some, there's been some heated arguments, right? Whereas I might have normally, you know, a year or two ago, stormed away, slammed my office door and hidden my office and just ignored the world around me, right? Not talking to each other for a couple hours, if not the rest of the evening. Well, homie, don't play that no more. I'm learning a lot about myself as I step into this emotional intelligence 2.0. I'm, I'm seeking to heal my codependency, my attachment um, styles that are no longer f- fulfilling my highest desires, that are no longer fulfilling this higher version of Jesse that I seek to attain, knowing it's never a destination. It's a journey. It's always been a journey. Destination is when they pop me in the big oven at the end of this whole thing. I'm ride or die in this body straight to the grave. Right? That's the destination. But for while we're living our lives now, I want us to be focused on what we're doing to change our situations right now. Three of my tribe members um, are currently seeking to release nicotine from their lives. And that's daunting. I commend them for that. I gave up cigarettes a week after I quit booze, but that's only because there was a vaporizer in front of me. And I love this thing. I carry it around everywhere. I can assure you, I am in no hurry to let the vape go. I know it's not great. But at the same time, like, you know what? All in due time. I make no excuses for it. I like it. I don't want to get rid of it. 
I can understand the desire to get rid of the cigarettes. I, I know that can make the breath smell. It can also make the clothes smell. It just, it's a disgusting habit. I mean, I still feel a little awkward pulling the vape out in public. So I'm just like, what are people thinking of me? What do people think? Oh, are they going to disapprove of me? At some point, I'd realize it's about me approving of me. What am I doing to make sure that I approve of myself? I commend the tribal members seeking to release the cigarettes because it's an internal desire. They're doing it for themselves. I mean, yes, there's some kids involved that would certainly love to see mommy and daddy not smoking cigarettes so they could live long and prosper and sprint around the ball field with them. Like, of course, we're not oblivious to the reality of that. But ultimately, when you make major choices in your life that are going to shift your habits, that are going to really completely change the direction of your life, the internal desire has to be there for you to do it for yourself. You may not get the external recognition that you're hoping for. And then if that doesn't come, is it one of those situations where you're like, ah, well, they didn't blah, blah, blah. So I'm just going to do it anyways. When It's like, okay, I mean, if it's not for you, who's it for? I get you think it's for other people, but let's talk about what it is actually for. And what an amazing segue into the topic today. Sometimes I just amaze myself how I can go off on a 10-minute tangent and reel it in, baby. We are going to discuss the book, Nonviolent Communication. An excellent book, excellent, excellent, excellent book. I'm going through it for the second time. I picked it back up. Uh, it's a book by Marshall Rosenberg in Nonviolent Communication. I say pick it back up. Um, in reality, I just picked my phone up and opened up Audible and hit play. Um, I don't do as much reading of books as much as I do a bunch of listening to books. So I picked it back up, and it opened right up into the part that we're going to discuss today. And I went back and listened to it multiple times and thought, you know what, this is some great stuff. So let's talk about this because this is really going to open your mind, your mind and your eyes to why you do things, the motivation you have behind the, the reasons, the energy you have to make the decisions, to make the changes you are undertaking. We're going to discuss increasing your joy, increasing your happiness, increasing your enthusiasm for life. And at the same time, you're going to have the opportunities to release depression, to release guilt, to release shame, because you're going to understand the motivations for your actions. And here's the first step. If you got a pen and a pad, let's get in the lab, start taking some notes. I might even throw out a couple dope quotes. Bow! Welcome to From Sobriety to Recovery. I'm your host, Jesse Mogul. First step, everybody. I want you to really think about this question. Really, really think about this question. Feel into it. Say it out loud. See what pops up in your mind when you ask yourself this question. What do you do in life that you tell yourself you have to Say it back with me. What do you do in life that you tell yourself you have to do? Get out that pen and a pad and start writing down the things you tell yourself you have to do. I have to go to bed early because I have to get up early because I have to go to work because I have to get this report in because I have to make money because I have to pay my mortgage because my kids have to live under a roof because we have to have food because we have to have electricity because we have to have internet because I have to make my spouse happy or my partner happy. 
What are you doing in life that you're telling yourself you have to do? I just rattled off like 20 of them that came just from work. Because you have to, have to, have to, have to, have to. I want you to write these down. All right? I spend time with my kids because I have to make the wife or husband happy. I spend time, you know, mowing the lawn because I have to, you know, I have to spend time mowing the lawn because I don't want to piss off the neighbors. Like, what is it you're telling yourself you have to do? If you need to pause, go ahead and pause. And write this down on the piece of paper. What do you do in life that you tell yourself you have to do? You may not immediately know all the things off the top of your head. But you keep a piece of paper or you keep your phone app, your note app on your phone open. And just start jotting down the things that you... And you will do this unconsciously. You'll catch the word now that I'm alerting your attention to it. But start noticing, oh, I have to do this. Oh, I have to do this. I have to go to a meeting. I have to call my sponsor. Have to do the steps. Gotta go to Dharma. Right? How many times have you said that, that about something? Because here's the thing. Let's just move on to step two because I'm already I'm super jazzed for it, clearly. I'm acting like it. Second step. I want you to acknowledge that you're choosing to do these things. And on this piece of paper that you've just written down all the things that you tell yourself you have to do, I want you to write down, I choose to go to work. I choose to spend time with my kids. I choose to go to a meeting. I choose to call my sponsor. I choose to go see therapy. I choose to wean myself off of these medicines. I choose to go to the gym. I choose to eat this broccoli. I definitely choose to eat this chocolate cake. I want you to reframe what you have to do into what you're choosing to do. And this is why it's important. And now I, I can't sit down for this anymore. Now we go get up. You thought I was crazy before. Now we're standing. Now we're standing. And this is why it's important you understand why you're choosing to do this stuff. In the moment of choosing to go to the gym or choosing to go to the meeting or choosing to go to work, you are simply recommitting to something you've already chosen to do. And you chose to do it because there was some level of reward. There was something, there was a carrot at the end of the stick. You were chasing the little bunny around the ring, whatever it might have been. You were choosing to do it for a motivational purpose. Something inside of you motivated you to do this. What is that purpose that fuels that action? Right? What values are being met by performing this task? What beliefs are being propped up by taking these actions? Right? What's, that's the spirituality. Morals, ethics, values, beliefs, opinions, principles, standards. What of, around those is being held up, is being fulfilled because you're choosing to do these actions? I cannot stress enough. You are choosing. Just like you can choose to be angry, you can choose to be excited, you can choose to be in love, you can choose to hate, you can choose to listen, you can choose to block. You're choosing these things. Now, you might be making these choices because somebody's doing something, saying something, being something in front of you that you do not want to condone, and somehow you have forgotten the saying that I have been more than happy to repeat hundreds of times, that just because you listen to somebody or watch somebody or are around somebody doing something that you don't necessarily agree with does not mean you condone it. You can listen to somebody spout a bunch of nonsense about how the earth is the center of the universe and all the planets and all the galaxies you know, revolve around us. We know that's not true. And if somebody wants to stand on the corner and scream that the earth is the center of the universe, I mean, whatevs. It doesn't mean by listening to them that you condone that. 
You don't always have to get up in people's face and tell them that they're stupid and wrong. You can just choose to scroll the fuck by. Pardon the French if there's any children listening. You can just choose to scroll by. But when it's your own life, you don't get to scroll by. Being passive and just letting things happen to you isn't really how it's working. It's just not. Not making a choice is making a choice. So when you're going to discover the motivations behind why you do the things that you do, and this is really this is really key. Here's the third step. So just a quick summary. First step, ask yourself the question, what do you do in life that you tell yourself you have to do? Write those things down on a piece of paper. Step two, acknowledge you're choosing to do these things. I choose to do these things. Step three is finishing up the thought. I choose to go to the meeting because I want to blank. Stay sober, feel good about myself, make somebody happy with you, proud of you, fulfill a corp obligation. Why are you choosing to do the things that you do? And then what is the energy behind it? I choose to make dinner because I want to have energy. I want to have nutrients in my body. I want it to be healthy. I choose to eat the chocolate cake because I want to enjoy all the deliciousness that comes from 96 grams of sugar in one tablespoon of this cake. I choose to because I want to. There is a motivation. There is a purpose. There is a value. There is a standard. There is a belief. There is a reason you are doing the things that you're doing. We want to understand those things. This is Emotional Intelligence 2.0. Self-awareness to self-management to social awareness to relationship management. This is Those are the four quadrants of emotional intelligence. We have talked about it ad infinitum. I will continue to repeat it because I myself am practicing this stuff regularly. I have gotten into shouting matches with the girlfriend. I am not proud of those things. I am human. I am fallible. That's just the way the cookie crumbles. I do not claim to have the perfect life. I do like to stress that I am consistently using these tools that I discuss in order to you know, continue on this progression of who I am. But I would never be so audacious as to claim, let alone state, or even try to plant a flag at the top of some stupid-ass hill in the middle of the woods that says, Jesse has conquered humanity. Everybody bow to the Jessiness. <laughs> seems, first of all, that would, man, being, being the leader of humanity does sound like that would be exhausted. That is, where, where is there time just to sit on the beach and watch a dolphin swim by when all of humanity is going to look up to me? I do not want that. I do seek to introduce you to methods that you can then incorporate into your life and thus fulfill yourself. I looked in the mirror one day, crawling out of a shit tub, and looked at a, at a ghostly monster looking back and thought, this is the day that I go from a person who had a ton of potential to a person who wasted a ton of potential. That person looking back at me in the mirror that day was frightening. It scared the bejesus out of me. I almost said it scared me to death, but I honestly, I thought at that time I was having like a mild heart attack. 
and I think it was just sitting in a cold tub of my own filth for a couple hours and then crawling out and laying on a bathroom floor and then dragging myself in front of the mirror and looking back at it. I just think, I think it was a little shocking. <laughs> I just think it was, it was a traumatic moment. <laughs> and it was in that moment that I said, okay, whoa, 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 whoa. Let's put the brakes on this. This is not working for me anymore. I had been thinking about getting sober, but I had not honestly, other than vaguely saying, you know what, I'll, get, I'll, I'll stop drinking the Monday after Super Bowl, right? That was sort of kind of the plan, right? I, I'd laid things out. I mean, hell, I already had Kaiser Permanente's booze hotline number. So I knew, I mean, I didn't have to like go digging around for that number. It was in my phone. It was waiting. Like the choice to get sober was very near. I didn't realize that I was just going to take the, the, the hyper train Right, the loop split right straight to sobriety on that Thursday, January twelfth. That was not the intention to wake up on Friday, January thirteenth, and decide that was the first day of the rest of my life. My body was going to kill me if I didn't do it. But either way, and that's why we're going to get into motivation now. What was my motivation then for making that choice, and what is my motivation now? Each and every day, I make choices because we're trained as children that we are seeking a reward. We either want to get a reward, or we don't want to get punished. That's, I mean, that's it. As a child, it's like, hey, I'll give you this Oreo if you don't make an ass out of yourself in the grocery store here's a candy bar, just shut up and don't cry, right? Like we're taught as children, you want to get the reward, you don't want to get punished. And real quick, before we go into the rewards, I want to talk about punishment because there's two primary ways that the, the nonviolent communication talks about punishment, talks about using force in certain ways. And there, there are times where force can be for good, when it comes to like some level of punishment. And so there's two here that he distinctly talked about. There might be others, but specifically, here's the two we're going to discuss. It's called protective and punitive. Now, protective is when you do something in order to help somebody stay safe, keep them out of harm's way, teach them to do something for themselves that will be for the betterment of their lives and perhaps even other people's lives. It's like um, not chewing with your mouth open when you're a child. Your parents teach you that, right? You might get in trouble for not doing that. It's to teach you manners. It's not just because they're mean and authoritative. In reality, they may or may not really care if you chew with your mouth open. I would care, and I certainly did not do that. And as a child, I probably did and was taught, that's disgusting. Don't chew with your mouth full. Don't talk with your mouth full. And it was super nice of them to do that because you know what? I got older, and I started hanging out with my friends, and I got attracted to females, and I started going out on dates with females. If I had been sitting over there, smacking my mouth, food all falling out, elbows on the table, napkin not in my lap, burping and farting, I can guarantee you I'd still be single. <laughs> well, or I would be attracting a woman who was like, I don't know, equally gross. So there's a protective nature. Look both ways before crossing the street. I swear, somehow, that's no longer being taught. Because I watch people cross street, and I do not see people look both ways. I get it. The crosswalk has got the little white, little white light with the little walking guy. You say, hey, the sign says I can cross. I'm just going to step right out. But what if somebody's not paying attention? What if they're playing around on their phone? And next thing you know, whack, you're gone like Frogger. I don't know why kids, adults, I see adults doing this. 
Look up from your phone. Look both ways. I swear it's like an ego thing. Like, I've got the power. Right? They're just walking across the street. Like, I don't know how to look. I don't got to look at nothing. I got the power. Hit me. I'll sue you. I'm like, well, good luck with that, first of all. Uh, my insurance is capped out at $100,000 per accident. And uh, I'm sure no court system's going to think that uh, I should give you more. And uh, you were jaywalking, so <laughs> you might not get anything. I've got the power. It's like, or look both ways before crossing. It's, I, I don't get it. I, I don't get it. If anybody has any resolution, any idea of why this is happening, hit me up at From Sobriety to Recovery or at Jesse Mogul on Instagram. Email me uh, um, at uh, From Sobriety to Recovery uh, at jessemogul.com. I swear, if you've got an answer for this, I want to know it. <laughs> Go to jessemogul.com. Ask me a question. It's up in the menu bar. Please tell me why people... Do not look both ways before crossing. Is it about ego? Is it because they have a neck injury and they can't turn left or right? Because that's a protective thing that parents should have taught. It's right. It's just going to keep them safe. It's going to keep somebody else from hitting them and perhaps having major trauma. So there's protective ways that we can be punished, that force can be brought upon us. When we think about these punitive ways, that's making somebody suffer for their deeds. Right, that could be physical, spanking them, timeout, locking them in their room, or it could be psychological. You're a piece of crap. How could you be so stupid? Why are you such an idiot? I feel like I'm talking like Hulk Hogan. I'm gonna take you out to the ring and I'm gonna show you the pain train. Right? It's <laughs> jump off your roof and just <laughs> drop an elbow on your child for not looking both ways before crossing. <laughs> You could get hit by a car. So to show you how painful that could be, I'm going to launch myself off the roof as you are laying on this table. (laughs) Wow. Dark, dark sense of humor. (laughs) Why are you in the hospital, little Johnny? Well, I didn't look both ways before crossing. Oh, did you get hit by the car? No, Daddy was so angry that I didn't look both ways before crossing. He jumped from the roof on top of me <laughs> as I laid on the ground. Oh, that's sadistic, Dad. <laughs> you should be. <laughs> we called up our friends, Child Protective Services. So we want to <laughs> be mindful of the punitive the physical, the psychological, right? We want to bring um, punishment to people in a form of protective, but we want to be able to do it in such a way that it communicates the love and the um, affirmations of who they are. You're not a bad person. You just did a bad thing. I would frame it as undesirable thing, but either way, I would definitely tell a kid, hey, you're not bad. You're not a bad human. You just did something that doesn't work for us, right? This is going outside of the bounds of society. We're going to look both ways before crossing. We're going to hold the door open for people. We're not going to be on our phones while somebody's talking to us, right? That's a protective nature. Now, when we go into the positive rewards, and again, are they positive? Are they negative? This is going to be completely up to your subjective perspective because if you're using a toward energy, right, you go to work to make some money so you can have a nice home, you can provide for your family, you can go on a cool vacation, you can retire, you know, before you're 99 years old, right? You want to be able to have a good retirement. I guess I take back that 99 years old one. That's totally an away from energy. But when you're doing things because you want to achieve something, that's a toward energy. If you're doing things because you don't want to, you want to stay away from something. Let me reframe that. I'll rephrase it. If you want to stay away from something, I go to work so I don't live in a van down by the river. 
I go to work so that I'm not rooting around in the garbage can with the raccoons and the possum trying to find some old, you know, crusty meat, right? That's an away from energy. We're looking for the toward energy. And some of these rewards I'm getting ready to cover very well could be toward energy. But I just want you to be mindful of the motivation. Are they good, bad, right, wrong? Again, judgment words, not necessary in this conversation. I just want you to understand that this is could be a particular carrot dangling at the end of the stick for you. First reward that we absolutely become aware of, uh, and then it becomes the center of our attention in our lives is money. See, money is not a need. We don't need money. We need money only because we need other things. It's just a strategy developed by society to meet needs. This idea is like, oh man, I need money. I need money. I need money. What do you need money for? Well, internet and cell phone bill and car payment, and I got to pay my probation officer. Oh, okay. So what you need (laughs) is to have a phone to communicate. You need to have internet to be able to communicate with the phone and to be able to do things. You need to pay your probation officer so you don't go to jail. You don't really need money. You need these other things fulfilled. Money will deliver you the opportunity to achieve those things. Money doesn't buy happiness, and it does provide opportunities to do things that can bring you happiness. Yeah, I get it. I can do a lot of things that are free that can bring me happiness, but I can assure you that going to an amusement park and riding some of my favorite roller coasters is a blast. It brings me joy. Don't need to do it all the time, but when I want to do it, it's going to cost money. You can go to the beach and not spend a dime, but if you didn't take some water and a sandwich, you're going to be super dehydrated and super hungry in like an hour and a half. Don't need money to go to the beach, but you might want some uh, some suntan lotion. You might want a towel. Might have to pay for parking. Oh, you don't have a car because you don't want to have to need things, great. So then you walked how long to get to the beach? Like, you see where I'm going with this? Money is simply a strategy developed to meet needs. It's a reward mechanism society puts out there to get us to do the things it wants us to do in order to have the things we want to have. And sometimes society likes to invent things we didn't even know we wanted until it was invented, and then we definitely want it. (laughs) None of us back in the 90s thought we wanted to carry a supercomputer in our phone, but could we honestly imagine life without it right now? When my eighth grade algebra teacher told me that I needed to figure out how to do, you know, whatever that math stuff was called, Pythagorean's theorem or whatever, that, oh, you better learn how to do this because you're not always going to have a calculator in your pocket. Apparently, they did not foresee calculators being in our pockets. Because now anybody who used to sell calculators has gone out of business because that's just one of the 14 million things that my iPhone can do. So money is a strategy developed by society so that we can meet our needs. It is not what you need. You don't need the money, but you need what it provides you. Those are the things that money does. It just helps you fulfill needs. Another reward mechanism is approval, right? We're looking for approval. Approval means rewards. Disapproval means punishment. You want to be a good kid, a good parent, a good student, uh, you know, good at your job, a good citizen of earth. You want to be good neighbor, all those things. You want that approval. You don't want the disapproval because then you're going to get some level of punishment. Is it going to be protective or punitive? Who knows? Right? You're like, how would my neighbor lay down some punitive damage or give me a spanking? It's like, no, but they could definitely talk shit about you to the other neighbors and then nobody wants to be your friend anymore. We don't want the disapproval. We want approval. 
So we will, be, we will start doing things to gain people's approval, and we may not even necessarily be hitting the target that we were aiming for. Doing something for somebody that you don't really want to do in hopes that they'll, they'll approve of you, right? And you're not even really sure if it worked. I can assure you that I picked up people from airport in Los Angeles before and was un- too happy to be doing that, right? But I didn't want the disapproval of, from them. And they could have just been like, in their head, they'd have been like, you were the 11th person I called. Thank God I could sucker you into this. Here I think that I've gained their approval. And the whole time they're like, whatever, dude, just give me to my freaking house. You think you're doing things in order to get this appreciation, but it's not necessarily confirming that your actions were gaining their approval, right? You got an internal feeling of fulfillment out of it in some regard, or you would have just said no and not cared about the disapproval. So you want to be mindful of the approval, right? Unspoken expectations create conflict. Spoken expectations are healthy boundaries, If you do not speak your expectations, if you do not let the other person know what you want, need, or desire, they have no choice to say yes or no. You actually say no for them. Or you beat around the bush, you infer something, and then when they don't do it, you're secretly pissed off, but who you're really pissed off at on the inside is yourself for not just having the courage to simply look over at somebody and say, can you do this for me? They can choose to say yes or no. I get to choose whether to be angrier or or content about it. Hey, could you do this? No. All right, cool. I can always figure it out on my own. But hey, if I've got a late meeting and there's a way you can pop my dinner in the microwave or in the air fryer for me so when I come home, it's already pretty much done and ready to eat, that'd be super awesome. If you got something else going on and that's not on your agenda, okay, I'll come home and I'll air fry my own food. But it's understanding that if you don't ask, you don't have, you're not giving them the choice to say yes or no. You're going ahead and saying no for them. So you might be trying not to ask somebody to do something for you and hoping that that somehow will gain approval, but you never asked them to do anything. So there was never an opportunity for them to have approval or disapproval. They were just living their life. And then you might harbor resentment for them not doing something that you never asked them to do. Oh, well, they should just know that if I'm going to be late, they should just put my food in the oven and just have it ready for me. They should just know. They should just know. They should just be a mind reader. Well, if they really loved me, they would have done it. (laughs) What a dick thing to say. If they really loved me, they would have done this. And let's go to the next one, escaping punishment. That might be one of the reasons why people do things. Oh, they love me so much. They had my food waiting for me. They love me so much. They did this. They did that. They did the other. It really could just be to escape the punishment, to not have the punitive or to not have the protective. They just didn't want it. Yeah, fine, whatever. I'll, I'll make the coffee. Just stop bitching at me. Right? But it's, I mean, that's the thing. That's a judgment statement to say somebody's bitching. It's like they, they could just need some help. I do, I've done some couples counseling and therapy. I'm not a therapist, but it's like I've done the couple counseling coaching thing. Right? And when I do that, one of the things that I'll hear is that 
you know, well, she used to be, you know, much more energetic or super into the relationship or romantic or intimate. And then I'll, well, you know, what is it you're doing, you know, around the house? What are you doing for the relationship? And it'll turn out not always just the men, there's women too, but it does tend to be more of a man thing. Sorry, guys, this is something we have absolutely done where it's like, we'll just assume that the laundry should be done and the bed should be made and the, and the, the dishes should be cleaned and, you know, all the f- dinner and all this stuff, right? House should be clean, all these things. Oh, that's the woman's job. Meanwhile, we live in a society where the women are working just as much as we do, right? This isn't 1942. This is 2023. I know, I don't know if I know a woman who just has, uh, who just gets to sit at home all the time. I'm sure I know a few, but in some regard, they all have got some kind of job. It just may not necessarily be, you know, 40, 50, 60 hours a week. And again, this works both ways. But again, I've definitely noticed that it tends to be lean on the man side. The man stops doing much of anything, assumes that all of the household is the woman's responsibility, and then wonders why she's tired and doesn't want to get romantic at night. All right, dude, you oh, man, like participate, participate. Right? So why do we choose to be turning a blind eye to that? And then we build up this animosity, right? So it's like, fine, I'll do these things. I'll escape the punishment. I'll be bitter while I'm doing them, but maybe I'll get something I want afterwards. Maybe I'll get the reward that I want if I do these things just to curtail any kind of negative interactions in the house. That's a really horrible energy to be walking around with. It's, it's going to cause resentment. It's going to cause resistances that are going to turn into rejection. So then we might start doing avoiding of the shame or avoiding of the guilt, right? We've discussed this a lot around avoiding shame, external breaking of society's values, morals, beliefs, ethics, opinions, principles, standards. Guilt is breaking of your own code. Shame is breaking society's code. So if you do things to avoid shame, You don't want your partner going off and running their mouth about how you don't do anything around the house and you just sit there being a sloth watching the telly all the time. Fine. You're doing this to to stay away from the shame, but you're going to learn to resent it. Just like if you're doing things so that you don't feel guilty on the inside, so you don't feel like you've broken your own code, you're going to be miserable while you're doing those things. Remember when I made the statement the other day couple episodes ago about how I don't seek to surround my things that I don't seek to surround myself with things that bring me joy. I seek to find joy in the things that surround me. It goes this way too. I don't seek to do things that bring me joy. I seek to find joy in the things that I do. There's a big difference because I'm constantly seeking to do things that bring me joy. Right, calling up an insurance company, calling up the the credit card company, calling out and taking the garbage down, mowing the lawn, you know, dealing with buying a new refrigerator. Like some of these things, it's not like, yay, I'm so happy I get to do this. But it's just things that I'm doing in order to have a balanced life. I want health insurance. I want car insurance. I want to make sure these charges on my credit card are all accurate in mine. I don't want my garbage to eventually fill up so much that it falls all over the ground and the possums and the raccoons tear it all up and spread it around my garbage in the lawn. They don't want that. 
I don't want to have all my food just laying on the kitchen floor because I didn't go buy a refrigerator. I do these things to have a life that brings me joy. So I find the joy in doing those things. It's period point blank. I find it enjoyful to do the dishes. I do. It's one of my favorite things to do. I find it extremely therapeutic. I, it's like a meditative state. I'll put on a little music. I'll put on PTI, right? It's like in my own little world. I Honestly, I, I could see myself being like 87 years old and, you know, picking up a shift or two at, down at the local grease pit diner just to wash dishes. Like there is something that comes from taking a bunch of dirty dishes and making them clean. Even when I was a servant or bartender, if the dish, if the dish person ever had to go off and take a break, I guarantee you, I was the person in the pit. It was just so much fun. Spraying everything off with water and pushing it in a little thing and closing the little door. Like I hope one day I can have a house with one of those dishwashers in it where you spray everything off with a little thing and you push it in there and you close the lid. And a minute and a half later, everything comes out clean. Like It was just so much fun. So I find joy in that, whereas other people might find misery. And you know what? Either way, dishes have to get done. I lived in a college environment where dishes flooded all over the place. And before you know it, you're like eating out of a saute pan because you haven't washed a damn dish in a week. I don't live in that world anymore. And then another reason why people, another way people look for rewards is out of a sense of duty, doing something out of obligation. When you use words like I should, I ought to, I have to, I must, I can't, supposed to, that's a guilt and obligation driven. That is straight up away from energy driven. You don't have to do anything. You're choosing to. And if, this, if you go into it with that away from energy, this I ought to, I have to, if you go into it with the negative energy around the things that you're doing, you're seriously screwing up your mental health. Right? You are putting yourself in a position where it, it's going to be societally dangerous because you're going to do things and eventually you're going to go to resent. Figure out a way that even the most mundane task, even the most annoying task can somehow bring you joy. If you go back up to the top of this episode, I choose to go to work because, uh, be- because I want to have blank, right? Then even the most mundane task at work can all of a sudden bring you joy if you choose to see how you're doing it in order to fulfill something amazing and extraordinary in your life. And if you're finding that that task to be so repetitive and horrible and mundane and that it's bringing no sense of joy to anybody else, it's it's almost like it doesn't even need to be happening. Perhaps you could go talk to the boss about, hey, do we really need cover sheets on our TPS reports? But if you don't ever have the conversation with them, you don't give them the choice of saying yes or no. You don't get them the opportunity to hear why you think that this work situation is not working. You just maybe infer that the cover sheet thing is silly. You talk behind the boss's back, whatever. You can throw in your own example here. But if something's not bringing you joy and you can't seem to find joy in it, then really other than quitting the job or you know quitting the activity, and you might very well be choosing to do something because you want something amazing from it. And what you're wanting to shift and change might be something you very much need in your life. So then you've got to figure a workaround. You don't just want to keep dodging the work and tossing it off on somebody's desk. In many cases, there's a lot of work that you have to do for yourself. 
can't pay somebody else to do your push-ups, ride the Peloton for you, can't pay somebody else to quit the cigarettes, can't pay somebody to go to the meeting, can't pay somebody to read the book for you and then just magically put all the awesome self-help information into your head. Like you got to read the information, you got to you got to learn what to apply and then you got to evaluate. Like you've got to be involved. This is your life here. You chose sobriety and this journey into addiction recovery because it wasn't serving your needs anymore to continue down the path that you were on. First step, what do you do in life that you tell yourself you have to do? Write those things down. Second step, acknowledge that you're choosing to do these things by saying, I choose to blank. Third step, find out the motivation. What is the intention behind the choice? I choose to blank because I want blank. What's the motivation? The purpose, the values, the beliefs, the opinions, the standards, the principles. What are you motivated by? Rewards or punishment? Are you trying to stay away from the punishment? Achieve the rewards. Money, approval, escaping punishment, avoiding shame, avoiding guilt, out of a sense of duty, these are going to be the rewards that you are seeking. I'm not saying this is a definitive list. This is just what the author of the nonviolent communication discussed at the end of this chapter. This is what I took notes on. This is what I built the entire episode around because it struck me. I went back and listened to this part, this like 20-minute part, maybe 15-minute part, for three, four times. I was gathering up firewood and all the twigs in the yards because it's going to get cold over the weekend. And I thought one last fire, you know, torch it all up. And while I was doing that, I was just listening to this. And I just kept hitting rewind. And I came in here and started taking some notes. And now we have episode 203. I thank you so much for listening. If you want to be a part of taking this information and really instilling it in depth, if you want to instill this stuff at a depth unbeknownst to your unconscious mind, I am teaching an NLP practitioner level class that is starting at the end of April. It's going to be fantastic. If you want to learn how to communicate in a more healthy way, if you want to be able to understand how your values are being met, if you want to be able to understand how to communicate more effectively with others around you, not to mention understanding your human needs, the way that you speak to people, the way that your mind is literally programmed damn near everything in your life, we are going to be launching our next class at the end of April. There will be an ad running in front of the podcast soon, so you may have already heard that ad because you came back and listen to this episode two weeks later? I don't know. But I can't wait to teach you this stuff. Multiple members of the tribe have already taken this class. They're loving it. I'm loving them being in it. I love you for being here. I'd love to have you in the next NLP class at the end of April. Please reach out. If you're interested, go to jessemogul.com. Ask me a question. It's up at the top in my menu bar. Let me know that you listen to the episodes. Let me know that you listen to the podcast. I've got a special deal for those of you who are listeners to this show, but you got to call me. You got to get on my calendar in order to find out what that is. I would love to have you in our next class. That's my sales pitch for the NLP Practitioner's Levels course. If you want to be a coach, if you want to be able to help consult, if you would like to get yourself into some kind of counseling and addiction recovery, if you would like to be more supportive of other people's needs in your own family, hell, if you just want to be your best cheerleader, this class is for you. Can't wait to see you there. As always, inclusivity over exclusivity, the power of positive energy, release and flow. Thank you so much for enjoying my goofiness today, by the way. (laughs) 
some days I just have it. I'm starting to slur my speech a little bit. I can tell I've been on the microphone because I did the college show right before this one, and that went 37 minutes. So we're looking at an hour and a half on the microphone. So thank you so much for just laughing along with me. And if you think I'm ridiculous, thanks for sticking around this long because every single day is the best day of our collective lives because we wake up sober. Shout out to Sunshine Glow On. You know what we'll do? See each other next week. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.